0: I want to welcome to the program Paul Zuccarelli. Paul is someone who has an incredible testimony, an incredible story to tell, and he does so in his book, Faith Understood. Folks, if you're watching this interview, I'm going to share uh, on my screen his website, faithunderstood.org. You'll be able to see how to watch the full version of this incredible story, as well as be able to uh, access and purchase his book or have him come out and speak at events. Uh, But Paul, the event I've got is you right here, right now. Let's go. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Tom. It is a joy and a blessing not only to be with you, but your audience today. Thank you.
0: So, so Paul, I got to admit, you're flexing on me. If folks that are seeing this, uh, my background is some kind of humble closet doors, and you've got this very beautiful uh, uh, fireplace behind you in your uh, uh, that you have set up. Do you actually have a uh, sort of a favorite? place to kind of sit like in my house we have a we call it our prayer room so when we when Carrie, my wife and I sit around we sit in that room. It's not a polluted by like oh everyone's doing all kinds of activities there. We hold it in reserve for our like family times to kind of be together and hang out and and all of that. Uh, do you have a room like that in your house?
1: Well we we don't have a room per se because my wife is a, is a great decorator and our entire house is full of icons and religious figures. That uh, is you awesome. Can't, you can't go into one room without it, even all the guest rooms when people come in and stay with us. So.
0: <laughs> that is it. So yeah. uh, I think, I think, is, is your wife's name is Beth. Is that Beth, right? Correct. Beth. I think you and Beth should come to our house and she should bring her gift of decorating.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. She, <laughs>
1: trust me, you will do that. You will do that.
0: We'll send her there early. We'll send her there early. Actually, you know what? That's, a. Um, so Carrie and I, we've been blessed with nine kiddos. And one of the ways that we thought about evangelizing was through the environment like right. the way that you set up your home so that it's literally on the walls right like so the spirit that we attempt to create in our home with our kids that's like full of faith um, involves in a very intentional way the use of space and how it's designed and and what you put on your walls. Uh, what would Beth say to that?
1: I absolutely agree. I mean she will find things whether you know it's somewhere out of state or whatever we're just traveling at gift shops. And she'll grab it. And so people, like you, you like you point out, Tom, they come over to the home and they go, what is that picture of? That is really cool. I said, well, that's the miracle of the woman with the hemorrhage touching the robe from Duke and Altam in Jerusalem. And you can buy one, too, I would tell people. You can go online and get one. Or we leave sacramentals out and we just say, just take one. What? So wherever in the house there's a picture, a portrait, a painting, uh, of course, the divine mercy, the sacred heart and Immaculate Heart Mary, and we're amazed at how many Catholics don't know what a lot of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. So there is, in us, there's beauty. Uh, religion and faith can be enhanced through the beauty that, of the church that you can bring into your own home.
0: Yeah. Is there, a, um, is there a favorite like statue or icon or sort of like an area that you, when you pray, it's like, you know yeah. what, this, I've kind of invested this space with Many prayer times I know you mentioned in your book yeah. Faith Understood a crucifix that is a really yeah. big deal.
1: Yeah. And I'm
0: hoping that you can show that crucifix. And that's a surprise, but if you've got that crucifix, I want to see it. Oh, there it is. So that's the famous Michael crucifix. So this, this you know,
1: ended ended up in Bishop's hands.
0: Well uh, story. it yeah. is an amazing story. So wait a minute, let's come back first. Is yes. there a like is there a favorite icon of yours?
1: Um it's definitely the crucifix. It's, yeah. it's the cross. I mean, without the cross, um, man is hopeless. And when I look at the cross, sometimes I think it's the autobiography of of our lives. Either wow. we accept it, we either we accept it. That's every person's autobiography. Either you accept that for salvation in his name, or you reject it for your own condemnation. It's that simple.
0: Well, Paul, welcome to the program. Holy cow. You <laughs> kind of put it right out there. I love that. All right. So, hey, I uh, I was given a, a an icon of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And, and the icon was of Jesus pointing. At this point, the stone has been rolled away, and Lazarus has come out of the tomb, and he's still all bound up, all wrapped up, kind of looking like a mummy. Yep. And you see Mary laying down at the feet of Christ And it's two angels that are unwrapping. And the priest who gave me the icon said to me, pray in front of the icon and use John 11, the story of the raising of Lazarus. And he said, focus on 1144, which is unbind him and let him go free, right? Because not only did Lazarus experience this coming back from the dead, oh, by the way, Paul, (laughs) uh, but even coming back from the dead – he had to be unmound and set free. And he said, just allow the Lord to unbind you and set you free because of that whole beautiful spirituality of icons that an icon puts you into the presence of the event that you're contemplating, the event that's pictured. It's like a window. And for uh, for uh, uh, oh, about a year, I would use my prayer time to just be in the presence of that icon and say, Lord, unbind me and let me go free. Unbind me and let me go free. And it was extremely powerful. The the work that the Lord does in prayer when we're in a like a, a, let's call it a a position that's kind of like on a, like a surgeon, right? When you're when you're out when you're out on the operating table, the the surgeon can actually do the operation that needs to be done, but you have to be receptive and kind of passive, right? Right. And, and that's sort of what the Lord was doing uh, in, in that kind of prayer time. So,
1: Absolutely. That's a great point, Tom. Um, you know, I reflect on um, when Thomas said, My Lord and my God in John 20 20, 20, 20, 20, 27. I love the line where Jesus says, Doubt no longer and believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, people say, Oh, what a blessing, what a gift you've been given to get a glimpse of the beatific vision and I say, oh, no, 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 you're more blessed than I am. Because right after Jesus says to, to you know, blessed are those who haven't seen. You believe, Thomas, because you've seen. Blessed are those that haven't seen. So as I tell my audiences, they're more blessed than I am. I'm just a rock-headed Italian that the Lord had to discipline.
0: <laughs> I'm glad, isn't that funny? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how the Lord does his work in us Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Today I'm talking with Paul Zuccarelli, and if you're with me right now watching this interview, you see his website, Faith Understood, and I I love your motto, I shall not die but live and tell the work of the Lord. And on that website, Faith Understood, there's a, a tab for my story, and there are a number of beautiful and powerful witnesses that Paul gives of this incredible journey through major cardiac events, cardiac arrest, cardiac death, uh, uh, more than once experiencing a medical death and and encountering the the living presence of the Lord, um, and he tells that story in amazing detail in in in. Um, incredible, inspiring ways uh, in his book, uh, Faith Understood, which you can also get on the website. So uh, Paul, i um, it's kind of hard for me to say, summarize in in five minutes what it was that you went through, right? Because it's very moving and the insights that you have are very powerful. Um, But I'm going to say the Lord's putting you to a new test. Okay. So the new test is you're going to give, uh, you don't, uh, you're going to, for the sake of all the rest of what the Lord wants to do in this interview, give it to us in five minutes. Uh, you, whatever the Lord leads you to say in those five you minutes, give us the overview, because then folks will be able to get the rest of it on Faith Understood.
1: You got it. Um, poorly catechized Catholic, probably like 95% of the people in the pews uh, believed in God. Um, but I didn't, you know, uh, I just thought that if I was a good person, and lived a good life that I might be glorified someday. So fear feared God, um, was blessed with so many gifts uh, of his mercy and providence. But I began having health problems with atrial fibrillation. And as my heart would go in and out, of rhythm, and the doctors would say, your valve's leaking, so forth, so on. Um, eventually, I was uh, I was misdiagnosed on my cardiologist in Tucson. He said I was okay. And uh, I received a locution that I didn't know what it was. It was an interior voice that said, Get to the mail now. It's the valve. I go up to see the mail. Uh, they ran a specialized test and said, You know, I'm borderline heart failure. My valve is really bad. It needs to be uh, replaced. Um, I prayed. My mother, by the way, has a miraculous miracle with cancer. So that's in the book, too. So our, our family's just incredibly blessed. Anyway, I um, go in for surgery. So I went from, you're fine, to you need surgery right away. And the Lord led me to read the Word, and I love the Bible, absolutely love the Bible. It's how I relate to God and Jesus. So I poured myself into the Word, and I finally got it, Tom, if I can use that term, Um, where the Lord was really speaking to my heart that this is true. Jesus Christ died by design. God came in human form to not only save Israel— Redeem Israel, but open the kingdom to the Gentiles, which is the great mystery. And we—I uh, was just sobbing in my Bible because the locution was that I was going to have to suffer for Him over and over. And I've, i led, i led—I led a charmed life. Nobody likes suffering, but when He tells you He's preparing you for suffering, I didn't understand it. So um going to, going to Mayo going to surgery. So my wife buys me this crucifix for comfort. Two days before surgery, all part of God's plan. No coincidences, just Christ incidences. So I go in for surgery with my crucifix in the Bible, and I survive surgery. They send me up to the ICU, and they told me I'd be out in six days. Well, the Lord had a different plan, Tom. Um, 24 hours post-op, I have my first cardiac arrest, and um, I die. My heart stops. My soul separates I go to heaven. I'll come back to the beatific vision with some of your probing questions, but you wanted the nutshell story. And the doctor said he was fine. And I talked to the doctors, and I saw what they did to me. So they were like, how does he know what we did to him? Well, I was out of body and I didn't, you know, it was my spirit. So um, had the, the heavenly event there, maybe we could delve into that more for your, for your listeners, but They said I was fine, but the tumult had just begun. The next day was Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, praise be Jesus Christ, 2017. 8.49, I die again, and again, and again, and again. I have eight cardiac arrests that day, and they can't get me back. And they give the news to the family who had to watch all this from 10 feet away. We're sorry, but he's lost the electrical connection to his heart. Um, There's nothing more we can do. The head of the EP, Electrophysiology Departments here, upon hearing that news after watching it, our son, Michael, gets moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the room and take the last thing he's got left of dad, the cross, and get to St. Paul's church. And logically or rationally, he's thinking, my dad's name's Paul. That makes sense. And it's in the book. He journeys and he gets there, walks into the church on Pentecost Sunday and thinks it's a priest. It was Bishop Thomas Olmstead presiding. And so he they were doing communion. He waits for the Eucharist to be done, runs up, says, I need to see the priest now. So that's the bishop. Bishop Olmstead came out. Michael fell at his feet, hysterical, raised, lifted up the cross. That's all we got left. He said, please save my father's life. He's a good man. Help him. He's dead. Bishop Olmsted later told the family, I've never seen faith like that. It was like the Roman centurion. Say the word. I got on my knees. I prayed as hard as I could. I clutched your crucifix, Paul. And I had chrism on my hands from the sacraments. He was doing communion and confirmation, and he said, "When I held the cross, I felt suffering." And he said, "Your son's faith saved your life." I went back and prayed all afternoon into the evening for an anointing of the Holy Spirit to heal you in the name of Jesus Christ, all the way through my vespers. While they're praying, almost simultaneously, my heart came back. The, the EP doc soda generator outside my body threw a wire down my juggler and my atrium. Um, went up to my brainstem, killed my ganglion nerve, autonomous bodily function, your brain and your, I'm sorry, your heart and your lungs. He kills it. Flips the switch, works on me an hour and tells my wife, he, this guy's alive by the wire in his neck and the outside box. He's not, he's not alive. He's in a coma. In two days, we'll shut the box off in the breathing machine and we'll wean him off the anesthetic. <clears throat> and if his heart stops again, we leave him. He's dead. If he, um, if he lives, Mrs. Zuccarelli, most likely he's going to be significantly brain damaged. He's been dead too long. Praise be Jesus Christ. I walk around two days later at the ICU, and I'm evangelizing over people, and they're bringing in department chairs, residents, and they're going, there's no way that's the guy in room 20 in the ICU. No, that's him. He's neurologically fine. And get this, Tom, for your audience. They kept trying to give me pain medicine because I was sawed in half burnt, welted from all the electrocutions. The Lord spared me from physical pain. I never took a pain med in the hospital. The doctors are going, this is insane. But again, all glory to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. That's it in a nutshell.
0: That's really, wow, that... Very impressive. <laughs> you've done this before. Is that five uh, minutes? <laughs> that was that was awesome, Paul. You go did a great on. job. That's he's talking about it uh in very brief form in five minutes, what is um unfolded very beautifully, systematically, clearly in his book, Faith Understood. As well as if you go to his website, Faith Understood, you not only can order the book, but you can watch testimonies that give the full version of this. And I I've I've just got a whole bunch of, of like lines of conversation I want to have with you here. So sure. I'm really thrilled. Again, uh, I asked you beforehand, I said, you know, I just want to see. hey, are you open to this? Like, let's go. Let's, uh, I want to like probe more. So let's I want to start it. with, I want to start with Bishop Olmstead. So um, I had the uh, blessing and privilege of living with him for three years. So he was assigned to the Vatican and he chose to live at the North American College rather than the residence for priests that worked at the Vatican. Um, which was a much more opulent, beautiful um, place that was um, there were a lot of like wonderful worldly benefits that came from living in this casa stretch, this really beautiful residence. He chose to be at a very humble location in a seminarian's room, kind of room, just a tiny plain room um, and would walk to the Vatican. Well, the reason why that was a, a huge blessing to us was that he um, would go down to the Adoration Chapel and I would go down there. I had a a real devotion to uh, praying before the Lord and the the tabernacle. And I swear that must have been his second room because so many times when I would go to the chapel, he would be the only one in there and I, I would come in. I would be there for an extended time and I would leave and he would still be there. And so that was was very moving to me the the, the love the the devotion that like the burning heart of love that Bishop Olmstead has for the Lord and um, when you share in your book and in the testimony that the part that Bishop Olmsted played um, you know he's a very humble man and I think uh, is quick to divert any attention away from himself um and so the the faith of your son michael the faith of your family of beth praying for you being desperate your own faith and willingness to undergo this i don't know i think bishop Olmsted might have you know the lord used that man's like who does that who comes from a confirmation on a sunday afternoon holds a cross in his hand and says i'm going to pray all afternoon for this man in senses in a supernatural way your suffering I just think that is so powerful. What a beautiful testimony of a bishop being a good shepherd for his people.
1: Well, if I can comment on a few things on that, (laughs) we could spend all 50 minutes on Bishop Olmstead. Um, We have had the privilege. I didn't even know the man. And so now it's taught me incredible lessons. When people ask me to pray for strangers, I just think of here's this bishop praying for me, doesn't even know me or my family. So I've had people at the diocese tell me, get your medical records and hold them. You're not the only one this man has prayed for, and they've been healed. Um, I personally think the guy should be a saint. You talk about humility. Mm-hmm. Just in his presence, as you said, he he took no credit, and he gave Michael all the credit for his faith. And um, I rem- I politely reminded him of James... <laughs> Uh, 5, 13 to 16, but bishop, you know, are any of you sick? Uh, Go to the elder of the church or the presbyter, which is he, and, you know, anoint the man with oil, and he had chrism on his hands with my cross, and uh, pray for him. Not only will his sins be forgiven, he'll be healed, because the prayers of a righteous man are fervent at the throne of God. So I reminded him of Scripture, and he, he immediately said, but remember also, Paul, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I'll be within their midst. And that's the prayer I prayed with your son, Michael. Mm It was two of us together. So he is a very, very um, humble man. And um, we've had the privilege of having him him stay with us in our home. And he exudes the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, His prayer life, his meditation life, his contemplation life, even when we're out of town, he says, you know, I said, would you like to go to mass? And he says, yes, but I need to go an hour before for prayer. Um, and then his vesper. I mean, it is just, and then when he stays in our house, he takes the most humble room. As you said, Tom, um, we should, we should all take a chapter from his life. And he did write the foreword to the book, praise God, uh, which people say, I can't believe he was involved in your healing. I said, well, he was a stranger and he's a good friend now.
0: That's so beautiful. It's like, uh, a- I feel uh, like I don't want to talk out of school uh, that you know him. Um, but uh, two other quick stories about uh, Bishop Olmstead that I don't know if these are legends or real. But one was I, I'm very involved in the pro-life movement. And um, someone contacted me from Phoenix saying that they were outside and they came to to go pray in front of an abortion clinic. And um, th- he noticed a priest that he had not met before. And so he said to the priest, Father, it is so encouraging to have you out here with us. And and he said, oh, well, what's your name, Father? And he said, oh, well, I'm your new bishop, Bishop Tom <laughs> Said, And the first place he went when he came as a bishop, uh, and I don't know if it's literally the first, but one of the very first things he did was go and pray in front of an abortion clinic. Amazing. Now, isn't that something that is just so beautiful? Uh, the other story I heard was, uh, for, again, from another uh, a leader in the church there. Um, we had a fundraising dinner, and the bishop was there. And, you know, at these soirees, nice meals, right? Do you want, you know, chicken or beef? But it's not just chicken, right? It's like you want some beautiful version of, of a beautiful, expensive meal. And then the bishop, you bring him his peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that he would have a very humble simple meal in the midst of this opulence as just a way of maintaining a sense of i don't know his own sense of simplicity and not being drawn into that world have you heard, have you heard this these are the stories i've heard
1: it's very true it's very true um he loves nature he walks every morning i think at 4 4 30 a.m um you know he is just uh and he, he says it so well, he goes, my identity is in Jesus Christ. And that's a lesson for all of us. Yeah. He fasts and he prays for the church, um, but he keeps his identity in Jesus Christ.
0: Well, and you know, it's um, when I heard that the Pope accepted his um, retirement, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that mandatory resignation at 75. And and typically it's the case that, you know, the Pope will allow a bishop to continue serving for years just because of you know the number of priests and all of that but the bishop accepted his resignation you know kind of shortly after he um he turned 75 and i thought oh what a sadness and then i'm like wait a minute maybe that just opens him up to be free for whatever the lord has for him next right maybe that's maybe that's in fact a providentially an amazing gift that pope francis gave him to be available for the next thing the lord has for him
1: yeah. And he, he has said, uh, that he's going to stay in the Phoenix area. So his casting of his shadow is going to remain here.
0: Nice. Okay. So last story then, and this is yep. going to link back to you, Paul. So I, I spent all these years, I spent five years in the seminary, never ordained, but I never heard, um, a, a talk at a retreat. I never had a class, um, barely even a lecture, um, and never a talk on a retreat, um, and never even heard a homily except for one in five years in the seminary. Now think of all those talks and retreats and, ho- and homilies and all on evangelization except for once given by Bishop Olmstead. Yeah. Uh, he gave a talk on the, the mission of the church to evangelize, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ who suffered, died, and rose from the dead. And I, I think, again, that just
1: – I uh, Real quick, Tom, you just connected a dot for me five years later. Okay. So I lived in Tucson when all this happened. I didn't live in Phoenix.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I It
1: it's all Tucson. So <laughs> we go back home. I just said, honey, I'm done. I walked away from the world. My job, quit everything, quit my boards. Trust me, if what happened to me happened to you, you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, Beth, where do you want to go? And I went and saw my priest in Tucson. And the guy says, sounds to me like you want to be an evangelist. I said, yes. And the priest in Tucson said, we're not into that down here, but Bishop Olmstead is. <laughs> so I, I, that's a sign, you know, and I went up and I saw Bishop Olmstead and I said, you know what, I just moved to Phoenix. How can I help? And he said, praise God. And he just cut me loose. So to your point about he loves lay evangelization, um, you know, in some dioceses the lay people are a threat.
0: Today I'm talking with Paul Zuccarelli, and if you're with me right now hearing this program uh, or listening to the podcast, uh, if you go to his website, faithunderstood.org, faithunderstood.org, you can get access to many versions of his full testimony of this amazing happening of how the Lord mercifully was in his life, as well as in this wonderful book called Faith Understood. And so I, I encourage you folks, again, if you're watching this, you can see it right on your screen, faithunderstood.org. His story is shared in a number of times. I, I want to say for such a time as this, for such a time as this, right? You think of the Esther passage. And, and what I mean is this, is that, boy, for the Lord to pick a time to have you go through what you did was, it's you you not only literally went through death to come back to life, what was put to death in your life was your whole way of life. And for such a time as this, I mean, talk about here you are now, four and a half years or five years of taking up this work to evangelize. Right. What's that been like? I mean, what's that been like? I'm gonna, I want to dig into this a whole bunch, but because you have seen the summer of shame, you've seen COVID 19, you've seen um attacks against the the church, and for you to have uh come from the the like the pinnacle of what the world values and to say, like Saint Paul, it's all rubbish, and I I live to proclaim Christ as the supreme good. Uh, And for uh, what my life is, um, you know, what has that been like for you?
1: Great, great question. Um, Let me segue into the answer for your listeners. Um, Again, I was a very successful businessman. I was way too much in the world, way too much in the world. Um, I was um, moving uh, probably was um, how would I say this? Insecure, so I was a perfectionist. I had to get everything right. I was data-driven, fact-driven. I was a businessman. If the data, by the way, you, eat-
0: you can tell in your book, you can I'll tell in your yeah. book that that's it's, that's your background. That's yeah. a gift. That's a gift. Yeah. But boy,
1: <laughs> but yeah. I, but I was I was very reality-based, and if the data didn't say support something, I didn't. I said it's not true. Mm-hmm. So again, and it's very hard, Tom, to get to faith, pure faith, through reason only. Mm-hmm. Because it's spiritual. Right. So anyway, the two analogies I use: I was the guy in the parable of the seed and the sower caught in the third row. In the third, uh, the word was in me because I love the Bible, but the anxieties of this life and the lure of riches and just choking me. Yeah. So there's How one. Did that
0: them. show up? What did that look like? How did you feel like you were choked? Because most people listening were like. It's the sort of like, oh, Lord, let me win Powerball or Mega Millions because I'll know how to, you know, that'll solve my problems, right? Yeah. So so
1: so for me, it was, Tom, uh, you know, if the client wanted to go play golf on a Sunday because they're secular, but he's a big client, I was like, okay, I don't go to church today. I take my client golfing. Mm -hmm. So it was always appeasing the world. Uh, That's a really, really powerful, uh, true example. Or, you know, I'm on so many boards, I don't have prayer time at night because, you know, I had to be it, be out till nine o'clock at night and get home, talk to, you know, be say goodnight to the kids or whatever. I'm just go, go, go working 68 hours a week. So um it wasn't a conflict of interest, it was a conflict of time. But I created okay, that- uh, Let me ask the, the question. World. A lot I of folks hearing problem.
0: this, right? Here's the question: You're working 68 hours a week. Why? What was it that drove you to say this is this is how I ought to be spending my life?
1: Okay. Um, Can I be real? I'm going to be very candid with you. No one's asked me that question. Okay. Here comes the Here comes vomiting from the soul. When I was in the business world, I hated it. I hated how people treated one another. It was always dog eat dog. It was always, you know, how do I get my piece of the American pie at somebody else's expense? And my conscience was never like that. So I was on this treadmill to say, I just need to save enough money to walk away from this world. I don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what that's what was motivating me is save, save, save. I was not a big spender or anything to get away from the world. Mm-hmm. And the Lord kind of accelerated that process. The other uh, example I would give is in um, Revelation uh, chapter three. Jesus talks about the church at Laodicea. Mm-hmm. That's me to a T.
0: Yeah, you know, the lukewarm. The lukewarm
1: Catholic. So you're lukewarm, yeah. either hot or cold. I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. So you say okay. that you're self-sufficient, you know? Okay,
0: so here's here's the thing. So you just, you gave, a, I remember a very wise business consultant said to me, he said, be careful about getting off the path and getting out into the swamp. You might go so far out that you can't get back on the path. Right. And talking about that with regards to being successful in the business world. So right. um, for 25 years, I had the privilege of, Coaching and being a consultant to CEOs and senior leaders to help them grow their businesses and the number of stories I have of guys who woke up one day to say, I don't know what happened, but the more I became close to being an owner of a company, the more I became owned by the company. So it wasn't like somehow I gained greater freedom as the power and position grew. No, I became more enslaved by the very thing that I was called upon to lead. And then they woke up one day and said, my kid is about to leave for college. I, I lost my kid, my entire childhood with my kid. I don't know how that happened. And the agony of that where they gave themselves over to this work for the sake of the family. That's what you're talking about. I just want to get enough money and it, out in the swamp and all of a sudden waking up and saying, what did I just do?
1: Right, right. And you know, I was blessed to take care of my mother as her health was failing and she was passing. And as soon as she passed, my health went downhill real quick, real quick. And that's when, again, the Lord was manifesting. The other thing that it's, it's mentioned in the book, Beth will will testify to this, I was struggling because in the back of that book, I put my mission statement that I wrote when I was 28 years old. Lost when I was a young man with two little kids. I'm lost. I read that now, and I didn't write that mission statement. Holy Spirit did. Hmm. Never said what I do for a living. It's what my role was as a husband, a father, a a son, a brother. Kept me grounded. And what happened is after the kids were gone, I would take Beth to near-death experience movies. Heaven is for real. Ninety minutes in heaven. I would read the books from the neurologist, the cardiologist. My wife would say, "Why are we? Why are you doing this?" I said, "I need to know." It was this thirst for knowledge of what's next, what's on the other side. And again, it was all part of my spiritual preparation that I didn't understand at the time. But my life makes so much sense now, looking from the other side. I'm like caught between two between two worlds half the time.
0: I love that. Today we're talking uh, with Paul Zuccarelli. Paul is someone who had an encounter after death with the Lord and in his mercy, the Lord sent him back despite Paul, not wanting to come back. (laughs) Paul was sent back with a mission to proclaim Christ and to keep our eyes on the prize on, on the ultimate prize, the ultimate good, which is our life with the Lord in heaven. Paul, you talked about the Lord, and in the mystery of his grace, giving you a way of understanding your life as a young man. And now here you are, twa, 30 years later, um, living in some ways with a, a greater sense of nearness too, in conformity to that ideal of for me, life means Christ, death is gain. Um, I want to explore that a bit with you, because um, very, very few of us are going to have the the path that you walked in the way that you walked it, but that doesn't mean that we can't have what is typically called an eternal perspective, that heaven's our true home. And that when the more that we can glimpse the reality of heaven and touch it and taste it, the more that we'll realize that the things that we've valued here on earth just are straw. That just... So Paul, um, I'd love for you to Focus in on that moment of encounter with the living God when your soul and your body were separated in that uh, in that surgery room in that surgical suite, and you had an encounter with the living God. I'd love for you to give a testimony about that. Sure. Um,
1: so again, dying's easy. Trust me, living's hard. And uh, you know, I never expected to die. I came out of my surgery and I was, doctors told me I'm fine. I'll be out in six days. And I remember my sister was at the foot of the bed. I'll tell you the exact moment. And she said, I said to her, my wife, Beth, was out having lunch with David, our son, because the doctors and the medical team said I was fine. I looked at my sister and I said, get the nurse right now. And she said, why? I said, there's something wrong with me. She goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm burning. My whole body's on fire, please. Like, Help me. I'm like really hot. Nurse came in, looked at all the telemetry. I'm in the ICU. Blood pressure, heart rate, uh, EKG, temperature, pulse ox. I mean, nurse goes, he's perfectly normal. So in the natural world or science, I'm fine. She took three steps out of that room. My sister said, your eyes just rolled back in your head and your body just flopped. And the, all the alarms went off. Bing, you're Sudden cardiac death. So to your point, my heart, my um, my soul separates. And I look back, I was allowed to look back at the body briefly, very briefly. And they were, the crash teams were already on me. But I didn't feel anything. Okay? And I didn't hear anything. It was just total silence. And I didn't care about the body. And then this glorious white light comes. Some people say it's a tunnel. Mine was just this round white light. It is so bright. Uh, the analogy I'd use for your listeners is, you know, the, the, the sun's 92 million miles away. If you look at it with your eyes, it'll, it'll burn your retinas. Not this light. I didn't have the physical body. But in spirit, this light is so bright and so enticing, and it's pulling you and drawing me. So what I'm going to share with you now, I'm trying to, th- there are no words that the human being can use to describe heaven or God. Because our intellect isn't that great. To, to, to put it into words, but I'll try. Um, I couldn't tell Tom whether I was being drawn into the light or it was taking me and pulling me. So there was no gear of forward or reverse. It was just absorption. And I go. And I can't tell you if I was in the waiting room of heaven, but this white light just envelops me. And I fall down in spirit and I worship God. I thank him. I'm just thanking him over and over and over. And for some, in, in the spirit, I said to him, you know, you said he's least in the kingdoms greater than John. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here. Thank you. When your soul is in union with its creator, it's it's a feeling of unconditional love that doesn't exist here in this world. It's there. That's why I knew where I was. I was home. The other thing I'd share with your listeners is there's silence in heaven. The communication was not in words. It was all spiritual. He knew me. I knew him. I knew exactly where I was. I was home. The ardor of affection, of being wrapped in warmth, but it's not a temperature warmth. It's metaphysical warmth. You can't describe it. The other thing I'd share with your listeners is time and space don't exist there. I couldn't tell you if I was there a millisecond or a thousand years. And he showed me everything I did in the past that offended him. Back to when I was a kid. And he said, you got to go back. And then, boom, I'm in my body. My eyes open up. And the doctors are screaming at me, say something. And I said, you used 150 joules, didn't you, doctor? I asked him a question. That's in the book because the doctors interviewed me. Um, they said I was talking to them while I was dead and everything I said was true and they've never seen anything like this, but anyway, um,
0: well, Paul, it, it, it the way that you describe that it, to hear you say that is so powerful because for so many of us, the idea of heaven is clouds and angels and harps, and it's a comic strip, it's animated, it's not tangible and real. And the way that you're, you're reaching for words, right? You're trying to find words that just are like dust compared to the reality of the encounter with the living God. And um, it's, it's like, when you now that you have had that blessing of that encounter, that through the mercy and grace of God, and that's part of the mission he has for you, um, how does that change day to day what you want to spend your life on?
1: Um, you know what's on my heart? Uh, because again, I've had it I had a charmed life as far as the world defines charmed. now that i'm in now that I'm out amongst Christians or atheists or Muslims, we've been around them all. We've seen conversions. Um, the world's really broken. People are really hurting, really hurting. So, from what we've learned in this is uh minister into the wounded world. In the scripture verse, Tom, that, that I just keep as my motto, there's two of them. One is the end of the book of James, and I'm paraphrasing it. Forgive me, i probably get it wrong. If anyone, that's what it says, anyone, that's you and me, can bring one lost soul back to Christ, you'll cover over a multitude of your own sins and save your own soul. And I just said to my wife, look, read that. Just one. I don't save anybody. We don't save anybody. I just got to find one. And the other thing that, that's on my heart is I shared it with Bishop Olmstead. And he goes, that's one of my favorite verses. It's from the book of Sirach. It says, in all you do, remember your last days, and you will never sin. Think about that. In all, if you and I, Tom, knew we were going to die tonight or in the next five minutes, we wouldn't sin. If we knew we were going to die next Friday, we wouldn't sin. doesn't say may not sin, shall not sin, might not sin. Never sin. Mm-hmm. So I I keep those on my heart. And um, again, we go where the Holy Spirit opens doors. We go to people's homes. Uh, I went to a family's home. And three days later, they told me they all got COVID. I got it from them. The gentleman died and passed away. but gave it to me. But he was a good friend. So uh, it's okay. He's with the Lord. And I take a different perspective on things when people are around death or people dying or go to funerals. <clears throat> I see the mourning and that's a human emotion. But quite honestly, I'm envious of the person in the past, if they were in faith. I know where they went.
0: That's beautiful. I'll talk about Paul Zuccarelli again, if you're online with me watching if you're watching the video of this uh, of this event, I do encourage you to go to his website, which is faith understood Dot org faithunderstood.org, where you can see the full version of these testimonies. Um, and Paul, as you now, uh, in this moment, are called to do this particular ministry, um, I think about the what's happened in our world through COVID. Right. So through COVID, a lot of people's priorities just had to be changed. There was a lot of stripping down because normal life stopped. And I think that um, it, it, it is, has been mercifully used by God to get people to remember their last end, to stop and say, wait a minute, the comfortable life that we had of soccer teams and, um, and, and comfortable, good things that the world gives in material prosperity and um, all of that, all of a sudden now, there, there has been a shaking and a stripping. And um, one priest I know said that in some manner, the, the totality of efforts to address COVID was traced back to a fear of death. We're afraid to die. And as a result of that, look at all the extreme efforts that were done and the, the, the damaging effects to kids in terms of anxiety and, and mm. isolation and depression and self-harm and, and other damaging effects on families uh, because of a fear of death. And how we as Christians are called to be witnesses to the resurrection, witnesses to the fact that Christ has died, Christ is risen and will come again. And we share in the risen life of the Lord. Have you found a greater reception to your message?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? You nailed it. All this COVID stuff, as I look around and my soul tells me this, it's people's fear of death, especially in the United States. We think death is optional sometimes. We're very, very secular. It's about me, 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 and and, and the pleasure of this world uh, because the United States is so blessed. So I think the panic that we saw was, And we see today, too, where, you know, they're masking little children to just walk out the front door to get in the car. Or I love it when the whole family's in the car with the masks on and you just pull up next to a red light and you go. That's the way to live. So there is this fear of death. But as we know, Christ overcame death. So what I tell people is in the end, you know, assuredly, this is part of my message. Assuredly, you will die. It used to be that, you know, people used to joke the only thing in common is death and taxes. Well, now 50% of people don't pay taxes, so it's just death. (laughs) Surely you will die and meet God. So the only thing we need to worry about is location, location, location. What happens to us? Where are we going to end up? Um, And what I find is people don't even understand purgatory. That's why I use the three locations. Um, And again, I was in their shoes, Tom. I'm not denigrating them. I spent less than one tenth of 1% of my time on the salvation of my soul when I got around to it. And I'm trying to reverse that. And the world still gets in the way.
0: So, but Paul, it's so interesting. I guess, so two things. The first is I, you made me think of St. Paul in Philippians where he says, all that I used to consider gain, I now consider loss. Yeah. And it's funny, even though people hear your story, even now, or if they watch your testimony on faithunderstood.org, um, they're going to say, dang, he lived a charmed life. I wish I had that. Um, and, and what I, I want people to hear, and you speak to it directly, is what you've considered gain. How would you now consider that loss?
1: Well, because now I know to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And the only way I am going to go to heaven is to die. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is for your listeners, is less than the other listeners, I had to let go of my free will. I found out that my own free will was precluding a deeper relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. my Lord Jesus Christ. So the more my free will got in the way of pleasure or entertainment in this world, the less time I had on the sanctification or the virtue of mortification of my own being. Mm So, again, I'm spending more time on my salvation and less time on making, I don't make any more money. Mm -hmm. And That was, by the way, the book is owned by a nonprofit. Um, I donate all the proceeds of that book or any speaking fee anybody gives me to the evangelization of Jesus Christ in the church. And specifically, I give it to the religious orders, because when I read the diary of St. Faustina, it was very clear what Jesus told her. There'd be even less people in purgatory or in heaven if it wasn't for the religious orders who pray for us, because we forget we're too busy in the world, us seculars. Um, So I help the religious orders.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that I take from what you just said, um, I was passionately pursuing worldly goals and was experiencing worldly success and the benefits that come from it. And even though that's attractive at a human level, and yes, there are satisfactions and joys at a human level that could make someone jealous and say, I want that too. There's such loss in that, a waste of time, a loss of opportunity, a failure to say, I can grow in, in my relationship with the Lord, in my sanctification, in fulfilling my God-given mission. You know, the gift you were given to write that mission statement. What if you were given the gift of spending every moment of your life living out the godly ideals that he has for you? Isn't that a be- more beautiful life, a glorious life, a-, a-, a life filled with with the joy of Christ, right? And how the Lord redeemed it in your regard. Yes. And-, and it's like your life becomes a, a lesson for us. And-, and the lesson is spend your life on the things of God on the Lord and on what he has for you. And that is a life uh, worth living, a a noble life, a holy life, right? Uh, Sort of the famous, there's only one sadness not to be a saint, right?
1: Right. And you know, it's funny you say that because you just triggered in my my heart that I finally feel, Tom, that I'm I'm finally the person the Lord wanted me to be. But he had to help me with discipline to get me there. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'd say is I finally have peace i was constantly looking for that piece whether i bought a bigger house or a new car it never filled the hole in my soul
0: mm-hmm. and and again it's it's for people who haven't tasted it it's like oh uh, I, I want both i right. want it all right it, it's <laughs> that's the trap right that that's the trap that's the trick all right let me ask this if beth were there talking to me
1: Yeah, she's here. You want her in
0: here? (laughs) I want Beth on here because I want to say, all right, Beth, how has, how did, how did the Lord not just deliver your husband back to you, but a new husband? How has he, uh, how has your relationship been blessed by this incredible journey through death to a recovery of life?
2: Um, Well, I think it's brought us closer spiritually. I mean, we were married in the church and we raised our children Catholic, but I think this has deepened our faith. And so hence, our children see it. Um, people around us see it. And I have a husband now who always loved reading his Bible, always loved it. But now every night before he goes to bed, he's on his knees
0: in prayer. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Okay. I have a question for the two of you Um, naming children. I I see God involved in that. Mm -hmm. And Carrie Carrie's insight is if you want your kid to face spiritual battles, name him either Joshua or Michael, because those kids will end up in spiritual warfare situations. You named one of your sons, Michael, where did that come from? And it sounds as if from the book in your testimonies that Michael's a bit of a spiritual warrior, whether he realizes it or not. He,
2: he absolutely is. And when he was a boy and we were deciding names and I always loved the name Michael. I have a brother Michael. I have a cousin Michael. I did not name him after either of those. I've just always loved the name Michael. And him being Italian, he wanted a Tony or a Frank
0: or. A... <laughs> and I'm like, no, I like Michael. Vinny. He wanted a Gino. I Vinny, come on. Vinny. Valentino, let's go. No.
2: I said, a Michael. And then, you know, when our second son came along, you know, no, we're not going to have Tony. <laughs> we're going to have David. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, strong names. Short with a Zuccarelli at the end. We need nice short. <laughs>
1: so, you know, it's funny. And Michael was born on Mother's Day and clearly was a gift. And uh, he's a gift. And what's interesting is we were given our testimony in Santa Barbara, California. And a man walked up to me from France and he had a satchel full of relics that he keeps for the church. And he's pulling out, you know, the 18, you know, Francis of Assisi, <laughs> the little flower. He's got them all. <clears throat> and then he pulls out a white stone. And he says, Give me, and he wants, he goes, Give me your crucifix. We're gonna pray for you to be a good evangelist. And again, I like the idea of a third-class relic. So he puts it on this white stone, and I'm like, What's he doing? And I said, What is that? He said, It's the most powerful relic I have. St. Michael the Archangel stood here. It's from the cave in Italy. And I'm like, I didn't even know anything about it. Tom. We
2: never heard about
1: it. <laughs> so I go look it up and get this. Um, he, uh, it was 490 AD, the feast day of the apparition of Saint Michael the Archangel. It was May 8th. That's the date of our son's birthday, Michael, May 8th. Yeah. There's no coincidences oh, in life. It's just Christ wow. incidences. And again, to your point, I, the, there's power in the name. I think I'm a Paul. You know, I had to see the light. Whether it was the road to Damascus or in the Mayo Room uh, ICU, mm-hmm. you know I had to see the light. And as John said in one one five, his first letter, what he declared to us, we proclaim to you: God is light.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I uh, last question is for Beth. Beth, um, how has your faith changed through the journey that not just Paul took, but the two shall become one? What would be that grace or gift or fruit?
2: Well, after, you know, my husband's walking around ICU with his IV pole, praying over every single room, I'm thinking to myself, I am now married to an evangelical Catholic. (laughs) I always thought that was an oxymoron (laughs) because I was the quiet little Catholic girl. People knew I was Catholic, raised my children Catholic. I never talked about my faith, never talked about my faith. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to tell everybody in Home Depot to Walmart about what happened to him. So I had I had to say yes. I had to be on board with this and to see the fruits in other people. And when I give my testimony, because I also had um, a visit from the Holy Spirit that weekend, and it's in the book.
1: She has a chapter. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And um I had to say yes, and when people come up to me and say, I, "I, I needed to hear that,"
1: yeah, a lot of women want to talk to Beth more than me, like because she had to watch it. She had to watch the trauma. I, I just, I didn't. <laughs>
0: Um, Paul, I want for all of us who are listening or watching this interview to be able to come out with that sense of conviction about the meaning of life and life through death to our, our home with the Lord in heaven without having to get on to go through cardiac death. You know, I think I would want that gift for us without having to go through what you went through, but we can share in it through the testimony of what you were blessed with. And um, I'm gonna say a prayer if that's okay for the two of you guys, as we finish the program, that the Lord would continue to bless and unfold his work in your life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, I thank you and praise you for the mystery of your work of salvation and the way that you brought, you brought that work to bear, and you brought it out into the open. You manifested it in, in Paul and Beth's life, and through these medical events that, uh, that happened to Paul and the ways that you met him with your mercy, you restored him to life, and you set him on his way. Lord, I ask that you would bless and anoint them with new graces, new gifts. Holy God, I ask that you would give them a new anointing for this moment to help raise our eyes to heaven, raise our eyes to you, O Heavenly Father, and that by walking the journey with Christ through his passion, through his death, that we would share even now in the the risen life in a new way, rejoicing in you. Lord, bless and protect uh, Paul, uh, Beth michael and david lord bless their entire family and Lord open new paths and new doors for them thank you lord for their witness in jesus holy name amen 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 the father and the son and the holy spirit amen well paul beth thank you so much for taking as much time as you have with me today on the program i really appreciate it god bless you Tom. tom thank
1: you